Maddie Marshall is a charlatan. But like so many in the Queen City, she wasn't born here. She's made it her home. And while she's lived in several places in Charlotte since moving here in the 80s, it's the historic Washington Heights community, one of Charlotte's original black suburbs named after Booker T. Washington, that has her heart. For more than 30 years, Miss Marshall has served as the president of the historic Washington Heights Neighborhood Association. And as she says, she may have come for the tree-lined streets, but she stayed for the history of the community. The founders, the civil rights leaders who lived here before her, and the neighbors, past and present, who sit on their front porch swings and make Washington Heights a home. Welcome to The World Should Know, a special podcast series developed by Charlotte as Creative in partnership with Tom Hanchett and Winston Robinson and sponsored by the North Carolina Humanities Council. This series was created to help keep stories of Charlotte's past alive. Stories of neighborhoods and neighbors that have been foundational to our past, but are in danger of being lost to time in our future. Enjoy the conversation, remember the story, and share it with someone else. Well, Miss Maddie, let's start. Would you tell us a little bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up in Georgia? In Georgia, segregated Jim Crow, Augusta, Georgia, or I say the country where we were living, or born, I was born, Hesaba. Most people do not recognize when I say Hesaba, what? And I say, you know, that word is mentioned in the Bible. H-E-P-H-Z-I-B-A-H, Hesaba, Georgia. So I was born there, particularly on the Georgia cotton field, as I like to say to people. My mother birthed probably about 20-some children. I'm one of the youngest one. So currently we have, let's see, 12 of us that survived. But when I was growing up, segregated elementary, segregated high school, the beginning, because while I was in the ninth grade, we moved to, migrated to New York. My older sisters and brothers, one military, they brought the younger ones to New York, and I was there in New York starting the ninth grade, the height of the the civil rights era kind of thing. Things that I, that stood out for me, the death of... John F. Kennedy, you know, ninth grade kind of things. Those things I still remember very clearly. Shortly after that with Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and so forth. New York, I found, was fascinating with all the history and the different cultures because Georgia, it was clearly black, white, maybe Native Americans around. It was clearly that. But New York had cultures, history from all over the world. And I was, as I say, very fascinated by that. What was the opportunity that, that brought your family to New York? What, what got you there? Better opportunities. Not that it was really better opportunities, but for us, you know, getting off cotton fields kind of thing. I think they always stressed education, education, education. And I would say that. It was just that. For generations, after we came out of slavery and so forth, it was the emphasis clearly on education. And in my opinion, that still is. I surround myself with different opportunities to give back, to share the importance of education. 
what part of New York were you were you living in? We were in Jamaica, Queens, New York. On the education, and then where did you end up studying post-high school? My education started at Andrew Jackson High School. This school that was floors, I mean, I've never seen anything like it because we were on one level, and here you have about three different floors, a big old fence around it. I was really good at track at the time, softball kind of thing, country girl kind of thing. But after Andrew Jackson High School, um, there were many opportunities. Some people were going, after high school, going on the liberal track kind of thing. I wanted to get out there and get a job. And instead of going directly into college, I was looking for the companies that had tuition refund programs so I could go at night. And I ended up at Queensboro Community College, then on into Rutgers University, because of different job opportunities. First, I started out at Citibank in New York, 399 Park Avenue. So when I know the address, it was a great experience. <laughs> and then I moved on to Diners Club. I know Columbus Circle right around Central Park. Uh, then I ended up on uh, at New York Stock Exchange on Wall Street. All the time I was going to school at night, pursuing my education. Those are tremendous places to work. I'm sure that was just a world away from maybe what you what you thought was possible when you were in, in Georgia at mm-hmm. the time. That's so true. What brought you to Charlotte then? How, how did you come to be part of our community here? Well, one of the things that brought me particularly back to Charlotte was the lack of trees in New York. It was an unnatural environment when it came to, you know, trees in the night. I never saw so much cement. I noticed a pattern that I was taking. If I would get an apartment or something in New York, I found myself moving south. And that was my destination, to move south. So why Charlotte then? Charlotte was, at the time, in around 77, Charlotte was really growing, but the population was really small. But I ended up getting employment, which... After their different mergers, Barclays American Corporation, you know, it was American Credit Corporation at one time, and I was in the legal department, and then we merged with Barclays Bank. So, How would you describe the character or the kind of the personality of, of Charlotte at that point in the 70s? I know it was small, but what, was, what are some adjectives that come to mind, what it felt like to be in Charlotte? One aspect that I found... People had their cliques kind of thing going on at the time. Conversations that I've had with with Tom Hanchett, who I know you also respect greatly. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard him describe Charlotte as kind of like a slotted lunch tray, right? <laughs> Where everything has its place, but it's designed so that mm-hmm. green beans don't leak into your, you know, into mm-hmm. your toast and your toast doesn't touch your beans. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and that that somehow feels like harmony, but it's just kind of everything in its place, but there's not a lot of mm-hmm. mixing between the two. One question I would have is, what was it like to be a Southerner to go North and then to have really your formative years or a lot of success in the North and then move back down to at least halfway in the South, right? I thought it was a blessing that I was able to move back. It was a blessing that I ended up in New York and got the different experiences because one of the things... As I always say, 
I felt it necessary to share and give back. What ended up happening, I published Mahogany, a shopping guide of African-American businesses and professions because my learning and what I've gone through, it's always best to kind of circulate those dollars in and around your community. I would often ask one question, why are our neighborhoods in this condition? How did they deteriorate to this point? And I became part of the solution. And part of that solution was about publishing Mahogany and being able to write my editorials, (laughs) say what I wanted to say, without constraints from from corporate basically dictating. So I would, my, my heartfelt feelings would go into Mahogany's editorials. What I started out with, maybe 10 businesses, I would ask them to pass it on, give me 10 more. And so eventually I ended up with this directory of African-American businesses and professions. How long did you, did you publish Mahogany? I think I have five issues of it, so about five years. Wow. And, that, and at that point, I, I imagine, was that, that was pre-internet, too. So those kinds of directories, I imagine, were absolutely critical. That, yeah. The work. I would sell them. I started out selling for like $3, but just to cover the print cost. And did you do all of that yourself? Every bit of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> First, I started out on the Selectric typewriter. I have patience now. So <laughs> I started out on this electric typewriter, and if I wanted to bow my letters, I had to type each. I had to type it five times to just to get it bold. And this is, you know, captions, you know, right. some kind of stuff. And I put it together. The first one was kind of, mm, but it was nice and neat. <laughs> right. <laughs> and eventually, I think I took a publishing or something at Central Piedmont to kind of do the layout a little bit better. Right. That kind of effort is not is not for the weak. What did what did businesses tell you about the impact that you Oh, work they made on truly that? truly appreciated. It was kind of an awakening for a lot of people to see cuz I always say information is power, knowledge is power. Right. And I would have, you know, fantastic African American quotes, proverbs, you know, different things like that in it. So it very inspiring. And when did you start publishing Mahogany? It was 84. So it seems to me that, that that kind of effort is a return to the past, because in Charlotte's past, there was, you know, there were directories like that. The, the African-American community did do an excellent job of kind of supporting it itself and promoting itself. And that mm-hmm. kind of fell by the wayside, I know, through a lot of urban renewal and breakup of communities, mm-hmm. which I think brings me back to... When you moved to Charlotte, did you move to the Washington Heights neighborhood or did you gravitate there later on? I moved to the Hidden Valley area at the time. And then eventually I began missing something about New York. Uh, Hidden Valley was nice, but it was a little bit suburban, maybe too suburban for me. But I found myself moving Uptown at the Tryon House Apartments. And I was only working, you know, about 4th Street, from 9th Street to 4th Street, so I could walk to work a little bit better, you know, that kind of thing. But then I found myself that hating that cement again. So a friend of mine moved. She was living on Booker Avenue, and I liked the house 
where she was living, so I told her that if she ever moved, I wanted that house. So that's where I am now, on Booker Avenue. That's truly fascinating to me that you have served as the president of the Washington Heights Neighborhood Association for over 30 years. That's and true. I, I think there's, it's easy to make the assumption, oh, well, she must have grown up there. But you're a transplant. You've fallen in love with it. And so that would be my question is, what is it about the character or the people or the history of Washington Heights that's captured your heart and been the focus of your passion for, for so long? As I say, a friend of mine was there, and so I would visit her. She would share her experiences. It was the history. Washington Heights, I always tell people, uh, is named in honor of Booker T. Washington that dates back to 1910. And if you do the math, that was only maybe two generations away from slavery. You have a neighborhood named in honor of Booker T. Washington, you know, he's the author of his autobiography, founder of Tuskegee, now University. To have that rich history and then the history of the different residents that that were, are a part of, I always say historic Washington Heights, but um, that are part of that. I am inspired by that. I get my energy, my strength, my wisdom from standing on those strong shoulders. Uh, I always say to people, God had a way of placing me there, and that's what happened I, when I moved there. Individuals sharing with them my gifts and talents, and I wanted to be of service. They did not approach me. But once I made that statement, they approached me, and the elders called me in for a meeting, and they appointed me. You know, when you recognize something and you have this person, you should go after that. Right. I made it my effort. It's been part of me to make sure I pass that along, to have that plan in place to someone else can, can, you know, step in there and keep going. One of the things that I, I was the founder of our Washington Heights Youth Services Academy, and that was particularly to groom other young people for those leadership roles and throughout and be there to mentor to share with them the power and beauty of the arts because in New York I definitely had all of that and so we would have the symphony the operas our children would write produce and perform their original operas kind of thing and all of these resources here in Charlotte so I would go I would make sure they had all of that. Or, or different events. I mean, you, you know, the symphony, you know, they love to give tickets to the children and stuff, so we would take advantage of that. Uh, those New York-type experiences where I would, we would go to dinner, <laughs> and then we, you know, go to the, you know, particular events. Is that ongoing today? Uh, no, I was looking for someone else to step in and take over, but they didn't. One of the things that, that struck me in, in doing research to talk to you is how much of Charlotte's black leadership was a part of the, you know, the original 200 or so parcels and homesteads that were part of the Washington oh, Heights yes. neighborhood from Thaddeus Tate on up. Oh, and so if you would, for, for folks that, that can't see it today or don't know the history, could you paint a picture with your words of what it was like 
in the early days of Washington Heights, and then maybe a little bit about what it was like when you started to get in, involved. Mm-hmm. I would say the earlier days, and I have a brief video about that history. Miss Huff, that lived across the street from me on Booker Avenue. Her family is still in Washington Heights. It may be about a fifth generation. And that family is still there to see the longevity of the families that can talk about the history. I have a neighbor, Don Neal. She's 60 now. Her family, they live to be, you know, some of the relatives about 100 years old. Uh, she's still in Washington Heights on Tate Street, very active. She came to me to say, Miss Marsh, I'm ready to get involved. And I said, oh, yeah, patiently, I was waiting for you. But I would always try to keep everyone informed about what's going on. But uh, I would say Washington Heights was one of those neighborhoods of a mixed-income neighborhood. You would have your lawyers, doctors, teachers living there and different people that maybe worked at the hotel. You had a lot of Pullman porters, you know, worked on the railroad. Worked at the rail line, yes, mm-hmm. ma'am. And you, so you had that. So it was a mixture. You had the individuals like Dr. Wakefield with the Biddleville Pharmacist who, would, who knew all the neighbors and would deliver their medicine and whatever. You could go to him and get an analysis of your prescriptions. Do I have to be taking all of this, you know, mm-hmm. going to a pharmacist? and you know, This is what the doctor gave me, but being conscious about what you're taking and so forth. So he was... There And, of course, you had our churches and so forth, where people built it from scratch, you know, that kind of thing, particularly with Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church. What uh, kind of amazed me or I hadn't thought about before I did a little bit of history was how much or how many of the properties were purchased by, by landowners so that they could then rent them. So they created an opportunity. Like people, I think I read... That Thaddeus Tate had his own farm and his own holding land holdings elsewhere, but bought land, or in some cases, it sounds like even donated land to that know. area, so that that others that maybe in a lower or middle income could could move there mm-hmm. and have a place to live. Yes, that's so so true. And one thing about Thaddeus Tate, his family, Celia Henderson, I think they were related, but that rich history there, but. I know he donated land to what was at one time was Charlotte High School, and then later on uh, it became Northwest School of Arts. That's very important history because that sits right there in Washington Heights. So we've worked a lot with Northwest School of the Arts, mm-hmm. and there's health-related pieces there that were donated by number 48, Jimmy Johnson, and the community can use that because it was once our track field where the neighbors would walk around there. So that health piece is there in Washington Heights. So, yeah, so that was a good donation from Thaddeus Tate. So I know at its when it was started, there was a lot of hope and promise, you know, in the Washington Heights community. But then as many places in Charlotte, it's changed over time. So when you moved there, what was the characteristic or what were the characteristics of the community? What were people talking about, either the residents being excited about or challenged by? I think what the residents were talking about, not only the rich history, 
but the connection to historically black colleges and universities, particularly with um, Johnson C. Smith University being that beacon of hope, the different activities and environment that they could be involved with. They talked a lot about the history of West Charlotte High School, Northwest School of the Arts, those particular assets in the community, gems that a lot of people from the outside do do not often see. But people living there, they realized they had a, a lot of history, a lot of assets. And I would often speak about this. We were not your deficits. There was a lot of pride. That's what it came down to. As I came to say to a lot of people, we knew how to, Maddie Marsh's quote, uplift all humanity with dignity and respect. That's beautiful. Talk a little bit about, you brought up Johnson C. Smith University. You work there, and what do you feel like JCSU's legacy is in Charlotte, and where and where do you see it fitting into Charlotte's future? The legacy the of Johnson C. Smith University is that, as I said earlier, that beacon of hope, the educational component for particularly African American, not excluding others, but honoring and respecting that particular mission of that education, which I stated earlier, is critical to people, you know, coming out of slavery and so forth. So it's been that strong institution serving the community, not only from the education standpoint, but being a part of the community development component as well in those surrounding communities. Obviously, we've had seen a lot of attention and development around that area lately with the addition of the gold line and the new public investment, at least in the five points intersection. How do you feel about about that, the, what's going on around JCSU these days? Well, as you can do the math, and knowing Charlotte, this does not happen overnight. So Johnson C. Smith was one of those leaders of making sure that we got the CityLink goal line. It was one of those leaders that were there, that's, that hung in there, even when people were trying to say this was a toy or a tricket. They were doing the negative spin on it, but we kept focused on the positive. When I say we, I was part of the, the CityLink goal line stakeholders committee as well. Uh, we would mobilize, galvanize the community, make sure they were there at city council. We would be in our gold shirt, T-shirts or whatever and making sure we made sure that council did the right thing. And we also had a strong leader in um, Mayor Anthony Fox at the time, too, mm-hmm. that went on to be the transportation secretary. It is, to your point, a an ongoing effort, right? I mean... It was a while ago that he was that he was mayor, and the mm-hmm. gold line just went into operation this year. That's so that right. was the byproduct of a tremendous amount of work and effort uh, and faith. And Wh- then with the Johnson C. Uh, Smith leadership as well. What do you think the gold line's impact is going to be, or the, it, not just the gold line, but the potential that the gold line brings with it uh, on Washington Heights? What are some of the opportunities what- and maybe? challenges that come with that? Uh, at the time, you know, we were looking for upward mobility too. We saw this as an opportunity to begin to 
have those particular business investment. We were not looking to be replaced or gentrified or urban removal kind of thing. Oh, yeah. That is not the intent. We knew our neighborhoods, our corridors, they were growing. So we began to do the work, and we have been working. So, so I say to people, whether you're a newcomer or whatever, no. This history, we, are laid, we laid the groundwork for this. Not for other people to just step in and say, oh, we'll do this and we'll displace them. No, 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 no. Big mistake. And I want people to hear me again. Big mistake. One of the things that you just brought up, uh, which is really important, Ms. Marshall, is development is seen as as good and progressive, but it can also present those opportunities like you talked about where other people can jump in and misuse it. So how do we invest in our communities like Washington Heights in ways that preserve the community and don't open it up too greatly to predatory development practices? I think that... Charlotte and other cities need to get serious about their history and learn from that. Meaning, when we talk about urban renewal or redlining and so forth, yes, we in the African-American communities, we've had our challenges, but it did not hinder us from being hopeful and seeing future opportunities. We need to get serious about that history and learn from it and not constantly repeat that. As I say again, uplifting all, A-L-L, all caps, humanity with dignity and respect. And then when people are developers or someone comes in and just ignore that history, ignore the architecture of the or the character of the community and throw an ugly house in your neighborhood, that's disrespectful. We know the character of the homes in Washington Heights and other communities. You have a front porch. That's neighborly. People need to get back into being better neighbors. And, you know, sitting on the porch knowing who your neighbors are. I mean, as I say, I lived in New York. Yeah, you barely spoke to anyone. You just came out your door. Either your head down or either if I'm on the subway, my head's in a book or whatever. No, we can do better as humans. Would you say that that's been, for the breadth of its history, one of the characteristics of Washington Heights, that neighbors do care about one another, uplift each other, and and build together? Yes, exactly. So Mm. would you feel like that with the attention that's being paid on that part of Charlotte now, is that something that's at risk if we're not careful? Because I have seen, you know, the the beauty of Washington Heights is that it's relatively, the buildings to this point are relatively characteristic of what it was like yes. when it was built in the beginning of the 20th century. But there are, it does seem that there are some signs of gentrification perhaps creeping in a tad. I, I don't like the word gentrification, but I do know that some of the neighbors that have moved in are caring neighbors. They are passionate about the history. I think they did their homework, and this is a place where they want to be. And I think, too, they want to share their gifts and talents. Uh, One particular individual, an artist, and I did not know he was an artist, and he said, Miss Marsha, did I ever tell you that I'm an artist? I said, no, 
come to find out that, you know, that this particular individual was Junior Gomez. And when we had an opportunity to join our placemaking project at the Ritz at Washington Heights, he submitted his proposal to do our sign. And it's absolutely beautiful, along with the young individuals like the Michaela Benters of, you know, Young people that I've met, you know, along the way, and I said, well, you know, pretty soon we're going to have this particular project. And she was all excited when I met her, and and that was probably about two years ago, but came the opportunity to the her art piece at the Ritz at Washington Heights, and she was there to do that. So that brings up a really interesting point. What, Given that we're Charlotte is creative, obviously we're we stand with with artists and creative individuals mm-hmm. from the project at the Ritz to you know the Beatty's Ford Strong mural project that that Ricky Singh and and uh, Denier Davis and others have taken on mm-hmm. to the beautiful mural that Georgie Nakima did right at the entrance you know not far from the Excelsior Club. What role do you see? creatives having had oh you've raised your hand so what is there something you you wish to say creatives are the heartbeat of I say the humanity in all of us it was a group of us well first of all step back I applied for a neighborhood city of Charlotte neighborhood matching grant a group of us got together and shared with Georgie about what we wanted to do because we wanted to tell the story of Booker T. Washington widest neighborhood so it was she captured all of that we had our input but uh, that's what we were capturing there to tell that story about why this neighborhood is named in honor of Booker T. Washington have a famous quote and that's one of the things that we always would capture we captured at the the Ritz at Washington Heights was those particular inspirational quotes. Because on any given day, you never know what a, how a person is feeling, but if they see an uplifting quote, so there's a quote there for any and everyone that will lift your spirits. I also makes me think about Abel Jackson and the role that he's had in preserving the history of buildings that are no longer there, the mm-hmm. individuals behind the community. Mm-hmm. In your experience in the Washington Heights community, what role have creatives played in the fabric of that community over time? One of the most powerful roles has been around the history, the hope, the aspiration of a people in spite of the negative negatives or the challenges. It's always in the spirit of love. It's always in the spirit of peace. Art is always in the spirit of the joyfulness, the happiness, and the gratitude. I can sum it all up in those words. So what I quite love and and didn't, frankly, consider before our conversation today is that it seems like Washington Heights to you is as much an attitude as it is a place. That spirit of love, compassion, commitment to community, being neighborly, those are the qualities that make Washington Heights mm-hmm. what it is. Yes, I not, say. not just its architecture, and that that has endured over time. I think architecture, the right architecture, will bring that out of a person. It's a manifestation where yeah. it encourages that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Because, like I say, you know, a front porch or swing on it or whatever, oh, boy, you, you're in a whole different world here. 
mm-hmm. you know, all the beautiful trees that line, you know, that's lined along Booker Avenue or whatever. That matters. So much so, I have an air quality monitor on my house. We, meaning Maddie Marshall, William Hughes, Ronald Ross, and along with June Blotnick from uh, Clean Air NC. But we started the historic Western Green District, you know, looking at, you know, the impacts of pollution and so forth on our house. Those are the areas that we live in. Those are the impact, you know, from the segregated South where all the highways surrounded us and we are impacted by that particular matter, particularly 2.5, that traps get into your lungs and cause all kind of health issues and problems. Let's jump back for a second. So you mentioned the, the relatively recent project at the Ritz. If you would, let's go back in time and talk about what was there before and and in the work that you did to create that park at the Ritz now, what what spirit you were trying to create recreate there. So for people who are not from Charlotte, what was what was the Ritz? The Ritz Theater was one of the last segregated theaters built in Charlotte, North Carolina for African Americans at the time. That location meant a lot to a lot of people. It was a place to be, the place to go to, you know, so for entertainment. Ritz Theater, I can say that part of our communities, we dealt with that. Once it was torn down, we, the community, partnered with Brad Beauty. He was a UNC Charlotte student working on his master's in architecture. We worked on a participatory process where we engaged the community and said, well, what would we like to see there in that location? I still have the work that we did on that project, and it was called, at the time, this was about 15 years ago, the Ritz at Washington Heights. So we were working that plan. It took a while, but what happened, we were looking at more of an enclosed structure with the architecture similar to the neighborhood, the front porch kind of surrounding it, but ended up being today a more outdoor setting. And we agreed at this time, at this place, that was very appropriate. So not only, and our focus was around how could we bring theater back? So a big component of the Ritz at Washington Heights will be around our movie nights. Another place was gathering of people, bringing that aspect in there. Another piece of it is education of our children. It was important that we had the Wi-Fi. Another component is the pole vault, which is new all across. I mean, it's not even being used electrical poles, you know, used as a, a charging, EV charging station. Mm-hmm. So we, part of the historic Western Green District, we partnered with UNC Charlotte, Duke Kenny, Jamie over there, and others to make that happen, and it did. So now we have the, the pole vault slash EV charging station. Looking across the years, one thing that I've noticed, and I don't know if you have, but people that are moving to Charlotte these days seem to have more of a hunger to get to know the history of our city. You know, if if people are wanting to get to know a little bit about the history of Washington Heights, who are some individuals that have lived and been a part of the Washington Heights community that you feel like they should 
look up or get to know people that you are we don't want to lose their contribution to charlotte i would always say to people we're going to have a a ritz at washington heights website too because there's so much history that and things that went into getting that particular location i just want to go back on that because this was a we were doing a placemaking project with the city, Aaron Chantry, under her leadership. And I know one of the statements I made, you can speak things into existence. That's why I'm... Yes, you can. That's why I don't do negative stuff. <laughs> but one of the things I know Aaron was talking about, well, the city only had, they'll have a probably about $50,000. That's no money. I said, we can do better than that. We got things to do. And... uh Next thing we knew, we, Aaron and myself, we were applying for the Lowe's 100 Hometown Grants. Mm-hmm. And we were awarded that $200,000 grant. Congratulations. And that's in, in three months under Aaron Chantry's leadership. That's how we ended up with the Ritz at Washington Heights. It was a lot of hard work. Lowe's, their team of volunteers came out, did amazing work. And I always say to people... I remember Henry Ford's quote, coming together is the beginning, staying together is success, working together is progress, but that teamwork is critical to everything that we do. So for newcomers that are coming in, you know, I would suggest that they please do your homework. This is home. You, you, you're going to enjoy the different amenities of this area, the environment, the people, and so forth, but do your homework into where, how and where you're moving into. And this is not your quote-unquote gentrification area. This is family. This is about the neighbors and the neighborhood. So it matters. Well, that brings up another point then. For people who maybe aren't, aren't looking to move to Washington Heights, but want to Come, explore, get to know it, interact with, and support the community. What are some positive things that people from other parts of Charlotte can can do to interact with with Washington Heights? Well, I would suggest, due to my longevity in Washington Heights, I welcome anyone to come. I can even treat them for lunch, you know, with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a soda. But I can do better. But, <laughs> but anyway, I invite them, say, come on over, let's sit. You know, have a conversation at the Ritz at Washington Heights. Uh, as I say, we will have our the Ritz at Washington Heights website up, and so there are going to be different activities happening there at this community gathering space. And all of Charlotte, you're invited to get to know the neighbors To, I mean, we did not have a problem, you know, when a lot of people moved to a different area. Do your homework, and that... Don't always rely on what the realtor is telling you. Right. You know, we have so much history housed at Johnson C. Smith University, so much history housed at UNC Charlotte, maybe, you know, even Duke University. So you don't have to come in here trying to change people or change the neighborhood. We are working together for the betterment of all. It sounds to me like you're saying if you want to, if you're considering moving to or living in Washington Heights, make sure that you're committed to finding or committing it to it being your home and not your house. Yes. There's what, no place like home. So let's flash forward 10 years from now. What do you hope 
Washington Heights will be like and, and what impact do you think it will make or be continuing to make on the Charlotte community? If anyone will, you know, review our neighborhood plan, those things that we are still working on and that is around our housing, the city of Charlotte is coming up with a stand-in-place program. But housing and also education around home ownership, more into the home ownership aspects, because mm-hmm. that's more generational wealth building instead of just apartments. I know that that's something that particularly Winston Robinson has worked very, very passionately about is mm-hmm. oftentimes I think people, like I can say, when I went to buy my home, I leaned very heavily on my parents' experience in buying a home before mm-hmm. and that education and educating people on what it what goes into buying a home mm-hmm. is something that he's worked very passionately yes. about. And to your point, mm-hmm. that feels like it's very much in line with the history of of West Charlotte and of, of mm-hmm. the uh, Washington Heights community is that commitment to passing not only wealth, but intelligent and intelligence and knowledge across generations. Across generations is so true. As I say, information is power, knowledge is power, and wealth is power too. What continuing legacy do you think that Northwest School of the Arts will have on on the Washington Heights community, given its just, I would say, unquenchable passion towards creativity and the arts? Art, create, Northwest School of the Arts. That's good, as I say, arts and health, arts and wealth. Arts are critical to the survival of humanity. And most people want to forget that, and I don't understand. Because what opened my eyes so much was when we migrated to New York. I've never seen so much art in my life the different places and the, oh, the feelings, oh, and to live those type of experiences mentally. If we had more arts, we would not have as many mental health challenges. We're taking stuff away from people that should stay there. So Northwest School of the Arts, as a former community, it's very good that we have that, the school there, the creativity component. Because I was just up there uh, Friday night, April 6th, you know, they had the Latino night. And so it's bringing all those different cultures and people together. How can people also help to, to pass on and preserve the history of the people and the passion in, in Washington Heights? Because I think in a city like Charlotte that is just, the development trend is real, it's easy to, to lose that history. What are some ways that that anybody can help pass it along and make sure it doesn't get lost to time? First, we constantly educate our children, always keep them involved in that, show them the beauty of community service, which we do. Any activities that we have, the children are part of that. So having that ownership there. Other people can, they can always lend the helping hand there's so much for any and everyone to do to help in the preservation of history. It seems to me that the Ritz and the new life that's that's there is a is a good on ramp, right, for for people to to come in, experience Washington Heights, get to ask questions, get to know mm-hmm. about it, and then pass what they've learned along to others. 
Thank you for bringing that up again. Yes, indeed. One of the things where sometimes people saw the negatives in a vacant lot, we did not have the Ritz at Washington Heights. We would utilize our vacant lots. Mm-hmm. Say, for instance, one of the vacant lots at the corner of Book and Bates Ford, we partnered with the Beckler Museum and the Gantt Museum, and we brought art, replicas of the art pieces out to the neighborhood and spread it around the neighborhood. And then we had the opening celebration. It was, we created like a living room where we could sit back and enjoy the art and have the festivities going. We create out of nothing, we can create something magnificent. We did that with the, where the Ritz is now located, 1201 Bettysburg Road, Oh, we did it. We used to have a vacant lot across the street where CMPD Metro is, 1118 Bettysford Road. And we would create, you know, you turn a vacant lot into a piece of creativity. That's magical. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Should Know, a special podcast series developed by Charlotte is Creative in partnership with Tom Hanchett and Winston Robinson, and sponsored by the North Carolina Humanities Council. For a written companion piece to this podcast and a custom work of shoe art created in Miss Maddie's honor by artist Denier Davis, visit biscuitclt.com.